You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Lifelong Learning, featuring thought leaders in the field of continuing medical education. Lifelong Learning is presented in cooperation with the Alliance for CME, the International Association of CME Professionals. Here's your host, Senior Vice President of Educational Strategy for Prova Education, Lawrence Sherman, FACME, CCMEP. The relationship between continuing medical education and commercial supporters continues to be a topic of discussion and interest. Against a backdrop of controversy and conflict of interest issues, there seems to be evolving a path to govern interactions that will make for great education and continue to evolve all the stakeholders who have a vital stake in the maintenance of high-quality health care. Here to discuss the relationship between industry and CME is the Chief Executive Officer of the American Society of Clinical Oncology and the former Dean of the University of Michigan Medical School, Dr. Alan Lichter. Dr. Lichter has also held board positions with the Liaison Committee on Medical Education, the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education, the American Society of Therapeutic Radiology and Oncology, and the NCI. Welcome, Dr. Lichter. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, let's get started. I've worked with ASCO through the years, and I know that ASCO is committed to high-quality education. In your opinion, speaking from that perspective, what's the best process for medical associations to receive commercial support for CME? I think over the years, the manner in which the support is provided and how the support is used has improved greatly. A lot of this, of course, guided by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education guidelines and then supplemented over time with guidelines produced by the Council of Medical Specialty Societies. I think the main watchword here is independence and as much freedom from bias as possible. So on the professional society side, a medical professional society should set its own program agenda. That is the topics that are going to be brought to the membership or to the public for educational purposes the speakers that are going to be used or the writers that are going to be used if it's a pamphlet or a book or a website, and what they say should be entirely under the control of the professional society. On the industry side, they receive applications for support now from societies and then make grants. This is now separated from the marketing aspects of pharmaceutical and biotech The support is given independent of having any control over the content, the speakers, the topics, and so on and so forth. It's gotten to be, I think, about as clear and clean a system as we can have to have this valuable educational content in part supported by industry sources. So our listeners are primarily practicing physicians. So some of the buzzwords, I think, that came out of what you just said that I think they need to take home, and I hope you agree with this, are the independence and non-promotion when they see something that's supported by a pharmaceutical, a device, or a biotech company. And I think the second really important point that you brought out, and again, I hope you agree, is the fact that there are guidelines that are being imposed and need to be followed so that all of whom are involved from the, the very inception to the implementation of the education are free from any bias. Would you agree that that sort of sums up? Yes. And of course, at some level, bias is impossible to completely eliminate. It would be you know, somewhat of a less colorful world if we didn't have our opinions. But it's trying to protect against unwarranted and unjustified bias. I have feelings about how certain diseases should be treated because of the biases 
from my experiences and my own research work, et cetera, et cetera. But it should be bias that's free from outside influence that clouds judgment. And I think the ability for us as medical professional societies to receive this support in what is known as an unrestricted fashion, that is, a company would say to us, we want to support educational activities in breast cancer. And that's the end of the specificity of what it is we're going to talk about, what we're going to say, and how we're going to say it. It's certainly, all of this is in the best interest of good education leading to patient outcomes. Are you within ASCO able to measure the success of this, I guess, either within each of the industry-supported activities that you have or in an overall assessment? Well, certainly at each of our major meetings. First of all, the content is guided by a panel of world-renowned clinical and scientific experts. A needs assessment is done. The ability for us to decide on the topics. It's just not a random set of suggestions. It's based on research that is done. It's based on work that we do in measuring the quality of care and what's going on related to the quality of care in the field where there are gaps and so on and so forth. So the programs are put together with great care. We then, of course, do an assessment of every one of our programs. It's more than asking, did you like it and was the room temperature right and was there enough coffee at the break? But did you feel the content was biased or free from bias? Did you learn things that will assist you in your practice? Do you plan to do anything differently based on what you saw or heard or encountered at this meeting? And it's the need to move the needle, not simply just to provide education, but actually to say that this education had an impact. I think that's extremely important. And again, important to our listeners, I guess, is to reinforce the fact that measurement is done to see everything was planned to be free from bias, was that the case? Was there learning? Was there a knowledge change? Was there a change in competence? Or if appropriate, was there a change in performance? This is really important stuff that I'm not sure all of the physicians that attend know go into the pre- and post-activity overall process. So I'm glad you pointed all that stuff out. Yes, and the accrediting bodies are becoming much more rigorous in this regard. You know, I've been involved in this for a long time. I can see it in our own planning, in the level of attention that we pay to making sure that these programs actually accomplish something. And I think you will see that trend continue in the years ahead. That's great. And and I agree with you. And I've been in this for about 16 years. And I've watched that. And purely as an educational provider, it's been fun to watch the education progress from stuff that may not have been defined as education as you and I might define it, to things that the ACCME makes the providers prove really are educational and have educational value. Without question. And this is a great challenge for us in the upcoming months and years to continue to advance that type of pre-meeting planning and that type of post-meeting evaluation. You know, it's interesting that as we do more work in monitoring the type of care that's going on in the field, collecting cases through case registries, and actually seeing what's going on, more and more we have the ability to say, here is a gap in the field. Here's something that's not being done as much as it should be. We need to provide some education around that. Or here's something that's being done that we realize now ought to be extinguished and people should stop doing it and we need to provide education around that. So we're trying to build a closer and tighter link between practice and education. Education should improve practice. Practice should be measured to allow us to see where the gaps are so that education can be provided and we just create this virtuous circle. 
I couldn't agree with you more. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD Radio, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Lawrence Sherman, and joining me to discuss the relationship between industry and CME, where do we go from here, is the Chief Executive Officer of the American Society for Clinical Oncology, Dr. Alan Lichter. You know, Dr. Lichter, along those lines, I'm going to ask you a provocative question because it's one I think about and get asked all the time. Could CME survive without industry support? That's a very important question, and I will give you a very frank and candid answer. And maybe it's an answer that others would not give you, but I feel that this is the answer. The answer is yes. If industry support went away, CME would survive. Now, it would change, and the cost to physicians of providing a CME program would increase. In some cases, it would increase substantially. Through outside support, we've had the ability to keep this critical, valuable educational resource inside medicine available to more and more physicians, available to physicians who are just early in their practice and paying off huge educational debt and don't have a lot of money in excess available to our fellows and trainees who don't have access to substantial amounts of funds to support this work. And so it is valuable for us to price this product at a place where the marketplace can support it. If industry didn't help with that and help defray some of the cost, that cost would have to be passed on to the physicians. Could physicians afford it? Some could, but some couldn't, or some wouldn't. And so the ability for these programs to have impact would be hurt. So I think it would survive. It would not be as robust. It would not be as well attended, but I don't think it would go away. Yeah, I think that's probably the prevailing opinion, Dr. Lichter. I think that most people that I've talked to have the sense that, listen, medical education occurs all the time anyway. Not all of it is credit-bearing. Not all of it is certified, but education is happening. We just sort of put a name on some of it, and we allow people to get credit. So I think most people believe that absolutely CME would continue in a different form. It would look and smell and taste different, but the outcome would be the same. We're going to change the way physicians practice because of new information technologies, et cetera. So thank you for being frank. You know, sometimes I ask that question and people sort of go around and skirt the issue. So thank you for being frank about it. Well, you know, listen, I think, you know, and I've heard this, there are a lot of people say that, you know, if this industry support was no longer available, that everything we know about would stop. And I've already said that that I think that's not true. On the other hand, I think that education is changing. I think as we look down the road five and ten years, we will be providing more education in an online venue and other, in other ways that don't involve gathering at these large regional or, or national meetings. I think we'll be providing a lot of education at the point of care, which is truly the teachable moment. When you're seeing the patient, when you're confronted with that situation, and boom, with two clicks of the mouse, you have the piece of information or the article or the lecture that helps guide you into treating that patient. And it's at that point where educational content really, you know, is burned into the memory. So it's this switch over, as we've seen happening over time, from just in case education. You know, you're going to sit in this room and listen to these talking heads just in case you encounter this situation, to much more just-in-time education, where you are encountering the educational content in the flow of your practice just as things are happening. And I think over time, the complexity, certainly of cancer care, is becoming so great. The ability to track all the different genetic mutations, all the different targeted therapies, et cetera. You know, we're going to need this point of care support and education 
not only to help educate us, but actually to allow us to practice at the very highest level. I couldn't agree more in that evolution from just in case to just in time. You know, I wanted to ask you really briefly about, there was an article I read recently about a whole tweet up that occurred at the ASCO (laughs) annual meeting and sort of the involvement of ASCO with social media. Would you like to talk about that a little bit? And the reason I ask is there seems to be an emerging role for social media and new technologies and CME, and ASCO may well be at the forefront, at least as far as associations go, for the incorporation of these newer technologies. Well, we have outlets in most of the communication channels that are available today. We tweet about ASCO. We certainly tweet during our annual meeting and our other major meetings. Exhibitors are tweeting. Attendees are tweeting about, since all of the lectures immediately pop up as videos, a tweet that says, you know, just saw this great talk on colon cancer by so-and-so, don't miss it really helps inform people in real time what's going on at the meeting. So the tweet-up was just a way to get a bunch of people who are absorbed in this particular channel together face-to-face so that they could talk to each other and share experiences. We also have social network communities of interest on the web and see more and more of this as an outstanding way of linking people together and sharing information. And I have to say, at least amongst the people that I talked to, it was well-received. I was speaking at another conference in Montreal, and I was following the tweets from ASCO one by one, and it was fantastic. So (laughs) I can envision a day where, you know, those who can be there are tweeting and those who can't be there are reading, so that tweeting-reading continuum is going to be really terrific. So I'd like to thank you for sort of supporting that. We have about a minute left, Dr. Lichter. I wanted to ask you if you had any final thoughts or wanted to summarize your thoughts on the role of industry support in CME. We believe that this interaction between medical professional societies and industry can be preserved to make sure the very highest quality education is supported for the benefit of our patients. The rigor with which we do this, the hands-off nature by which this support is provided, I think can ensure physicians, patients, regulators, and legislatures, etc., that we are doing this to the very highest quality standard uh, we can. We take it very seriously, and it's quite important to us. I'd like to thank you for your involvement in in CME, and I know how important it is for you to provide the education to your members and how important it is for your members to take what they learn, apply it at the patient care level and the research level. So I think that really summed it up nicely. I'd like to thank my guest, Chief Executive Officer of the American Society of Clinical Oncology and former Dean of the University of Michigan Medical School, Dr. Alan Lichter. Dr. Lichter, thanks for spending time with us this week on Lifelong Learning. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD on XM160, the channel for medical professionals, featuring thought leaders in the field of continuing medical education. Lifelong Learning is presented in cooperation with the Alliance for CME, the International Association of CME Professionals, and is hosted by Lawrence Sherman. The Alliance for Continuing Medical Education is proud to partner with ReachMD to present the series Lifelong Learning in an effort to foster discussion on current issues in the field of continuing medical education. The Alliance for CME is a membership organization of professionals devoted to designing, implementing, and evaluating CME activities for physicians. Another initiative the Alliance is proud to sponsor is the National Faculty Education Initiative, or NFEI, with the Society for Academic Continuing Medical Education and in collaboration with the Association 
of American medical colleges. NFEI's educational activity and verification database will help medical education faculty understand the differences between certified CME activities and commercial marketing promotional programs, benefiting all stakeholders in the CME process and ultimately the public. More information about NFEI and the Alliance for CME can be found online at acme-assn.org. That's acme-assn.org. 